Thank you for joining. We're ready to start today's class, Parsha in My Life. Let me see over here. Tonight's class was sponsored, the CD this week, was sponsored by the Zickman family, Velvel and Polina Zickman. This is an honor of their first, and Be'ezus Hashem, the first of many, 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 many more, but their first grandchild. This is a granddaughter that was born to their son, David, and their daughter-in-law, Sterna they have a new granddaughter, and her name is Hannah. So may Hashem bless the Tzikman family. First of all, bless this little baby to grow up. And just bring a lot, a lot of bracha to her family, parents, and grandparents. And may her parents and grandparents raise her. Parents should raise her, and the grandparents should be there during the raising and maybe help out a little bit, but... Uh, in good health, in good health, and derive a tremendous amount of nachas, and only, only good and happiness, much, much bracha, mazel, and great, 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 great things. Thank you so much for that dedication. And another dedication tonight, also on the CD, share and CD this week, and this is by the Smolyansky family, and this is in honor of, today was the yard site, I think the 11th yard site of Naftali ben Alexander, all of Ashalem, may his neshama have a super, super, super great aliyah to the greatest of heights, higher and higher and higher and higher. May he channel lots of brachas down to his mishpacha, to all his friends, all those who are so deeply attached and connected to his beautiful, beautiful person that he is and remains. And Bezus Hashem, he shall be back here, the cut of Mamish and the coming of Moshiach soon. Okay, so that's the dedications. We are ready to begin. This week is Parshas Re'e. <clears throat> so, many mitzvahs in Parshas Re'e. And one of the mitzvahs that we have this week in the Parsha is the mitzvah pertaining to special mitzvah, unique mitzvah. And this pertains to the mitzvah of releasing one's servant. We have the concept of a servant in Judaism. Today's days, we don't really have that anymore. But it once did exist. Are there going to be servants after Moshiach comes? Maybe, maybe people will volunteer, excitingly, as it says that the Jewish people will be seen on such a high level by the people in the world that there might be people that would say, hey, let's devote our lives to the servitude, which would only be an elevation for all of humanity. Um, perhaps... But this is a different thing. This is a situation when a Jew um, himself became a servant to another Jew. When does a Jew become a servant? That's generally either if they're very, very, very poor and they can't take care of them, their families, so a person would sell himself. But it wouldn't be a permanent sale. It would be a short-term sale because a Jew cannot be a servant for more than six years of servitude and the seventh year he goes out. Or if a person is accused or found guilty of theft and they don't have the money to pay back that which they stole, then the court would initiate a sale of this individual and again for a certain amount of years and then they would be released. That is the law of a Jewish servant. Now the basic of these laws we learned already in the book of Exodus and Sefer Shemos and Parshas Mishpat. What's unique over here in Parshas Re'eh is that it adds a certain mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? 
The mitzvah is when you send your servant off, when his time of servitude expires. And now it's time for him to say goodbye, and he leaves. The Torah warns us that you should not leave, let him go. Actually, it warns us, gives us a commandment. Let's put it as a happy, joyous commandment. When you let your servant go, do not let him go empty-handed. But rather, you should bestow upon him gifts. That's what it is. And this is a very beautiful way of ending this this, uh, servant-master relationship. Now that he's leaving, he's leaving with great gifts. How does he live? How does he, how does he leave? So the Pasuk says, When you send him to go, Do not send him without anything. You should give him gifts. From your flock. That means give him livestock. Give him from your, from your haystacks, not the haystacks, from your grain, granaries. Take from your produce and give him from your produce. Give him a nice few cases of wine. Yikvecha means your wines. Whatever God has blessed you in, this is what you should give to him. It's a mitzvah, it's called Hanukkah's Eved Ivri. The Hanukkah, the mitzvah of giving a gift to the servant, to the Jewish slave. And the Pasuk continues, You should remember, By the way, for those who are looking, would like to look this up, this is in chapter 15, in Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 15, Pasuk 15, Perek 15, chapter 15, verse 15. V'zacharta, you should remember, ki eved ho'yisa bi'eretz Mitzrayim, that you yourself were servants in the land of Egypt, v'yiftacha Hashem alokecha, and God redeemed you. Hashem released you from that servitude. So you kind of remember what it is like to go out from being a slave. Simply it means, just like you remember that experience, so make sure that as you went out and you were redeemed appropriately, make sure when you redeem a servant, make sure that your servant is redeemed appropriately. Um, That's why I command you this thing today. You remember it. You felt this on your own back. Make sure you treat your servants also in that way. That when they leave, okay. now what does this come to add? Simply, you know what it means to live the life of a slave. But there's something more to it. Rashi says, V'zachar toki eva Yisa. So what is it? So you are a servant. So why is this pertaining to the mitzvah of giving him gifts? Because remember when you went out of Egypt, how many gifts I gave you. You went out not impoverished people. You went out rich. V'enakti. And I gifted you, God says. Not only did I gift you once, I gave you twice. I gave you two big, big gifts. Why twice? Initially when the Jews went out of Egypt, they got the loot of Egypt. And the loot came about because Hashem gave their grace in the eyes of the Egyptians. The Egyptians suddenly felt the Jews found a lot, a lot of favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they asked them for gold, silver, jewelry, clothing, and they gave them. Now, by the way, it's an interesting thing. People think, which the words seem to imply that the Jews borrowed, they borrowed this just for a three-day, because they said they're leaving for three days, they're coming back, and therefore they borrowed it, and that's what the words imply. Hashem says, go borrow from your... Sha'al. 
um, the, I saw in the Rishonim today, the Rajbam, Rabbeinu Bachaya, and Rajbam in a few places, um, very, very, very vehemently uh, negate that. And they said that we, ha- we read those words wrong. It doesn't mean chas v'shalom, borrow, because God would never instruct the Jewish people to act in a deceptive manner where they're going to borrow it and then they're not going to return. And then they're going to leave, you know, because Egyptians were going to drown in the sea and we're going to end up keeping that which was given to us not with the intention of being given. So they explain that the word sha'al means actually also to ask, not to borrow. And when they asked, they actually asked for gifts. And for some reason, you see, when God does something, Hashem can turn the hearts of people. These Egyptians that disliked the Jews, enslaved them, abused them, tortured them, persecuted them, killed their babies for over 200 years, suddenly felt tremendous admiration and, you know, uh, to be... They felt that they would like to gift them, and they gave them big gifts. Anyways, so uh, Rashi is saying it happened twice. I gave you the first deposit. When you left Egypt, the Egyptians gave you a mass amount of money, and then later, when the Egyptians came after you in the sea, the Egyptians used to adorn their, 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 um, their chariots and their, their military vehicles, their chariots and their horses, with, ju- with golden jewels and all this. Uh, this was a way of, of uh, was honor, was some kind of an honor system, I guess. Anybody that was higher rank had all this gold enormous ornaments on their, on their uh, chariots and on their vehicles. So when, when, when they, these vehicles, when these chariots and the horses went down in the sea, after they died, God commanded the sea to spit them out. And the chariots and the horses, every, and the Egyptians themselves all came swimming up on the shore. And from there, the Jews then went and took all that gold that was there, and that enhanced their wealth tremendously. So this was a two, and this was considered Hashem kind of fulfilling this mitzvah of when you send away a Jewish slave, when he goes out from enslavement, don't send him empty-handed, give him gifts, but what did I do? I gave you twice, not once. I gave you once, and then I gave you a second time. A, re- a, a repeat gift. So the same is also when you give to your servant, give him once, and give him again. Give him one time, and give him a second time. So what does that mean exactly? Halachically, do you give him the first gift when he leaves, and then a week later, send, send him another gift in the mail? You know, uh, or what? I'm not exactly sure. But this is what Rashi says. This is, and that's what the Pasuk is emphasizing when the Pasuk says, you should remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. Rashi is taking this idea from the Midrash, from the Sifri. If you look in the Sifri, the Sifri is again an earlier Midrash, um, where it says, same idea, I gave you once and I gave you twice. If you remember the words of the Pasuk, that says that you should gift your servant, actually says twice, Hanik tanik loy. Gift him, you should gift him. It uses a double gift. So God is saying, that's what I did. The Sufri says, You should give him twice. And Mabim just like in Egypt, Nasati loch yad. I'm quoting now from the Midrash, a little bit more elaborate than Rashi. 
It says over there, I gave you with a broad hand, meaning I didn't give you barely a gift. I gave you a very, very big, broad gift. You should also give a broad gift. So it says, Even if you lie down, God says. It's a Pasuk in Psalms, in Tehillim, in Perek 68, in, in Perek Samaches, chapter 68. It says, Im tishkevin, if you lie down, bain svatayim, if you lie down on the fireplaces, meaning even when you're in exile and you're, you're suffering. In the end, kanfeyona, my dove, my God says, my dove, the Jewish people compared to a dove, a bird, your wings, nechpa bekesef, were covered with silver. That means when you, I guess, when you, when you lifted your wings to fly out of Egypt, you found yourself laden with silver. Nechba bakesef, you were you were covered with silver. So the Medrash says, that's the pasuk. But the, the, the Medrash explains, Zu bizas mitzrayim. This is the loot that you took out of Egypt compared to a loot of silver. and your pinions with shiny gold. Pinions are the ends of the wings. The feathers all the way at the end of the wings of a bird are called pinions. I wonder who knew that. I didn't even know that. It doesn't help me. Look at the English translation. They use these crazy words. Pinions. But then I have to do a whole investigation what are pinions and I figure that out. Thank God for the help I have from family members. In any case, they didn't either know, but they looked it up. Zu bizas hayam. This is the second loot. What was the second loot? The loot by the sea. Okay, because that was, and that's called shiny gold, I guess, because it was of greater value. The sages say the second loot was much greater than the first loot. Um, and then it brings another pasuk in, in, in Shir Hashirim, also for the same idea that there was a double, a double gifting that God gifted the Jewish people. Fine. This is the story. Okay. The question, however, is if that's what the verse is trying to say, if the pasuk is trying to say, remember you were a servant and I took you out of Egypt. And the main idea is, when you give, and therefore you should give a gift, but not only a gift, give a double gift, like I gave a double gift. You should also give a double gift. It would seem that the main point is missing from the verse. In the Pasuk itself, it doesn't say at all, remember when I took you out of Egypt and I gave you a gift. It doesn't say that. What does it say in the Pasuk? Remember that I took you out of Egypt and I, I'm sorry, remember that you were servants in Egypt. That's what it says. Remember your servitude in Mitzrayim. Vayiftecha Hashem Elokecha and God redeemed you. If this is coming to tell us that I redeemed you and gave you a gift, why does the verse leave it for Rashi to fill that in or the Midrash to fill it in if that's the main point? Again, sometimes, a lot of times the, the Pesukim leave, leave explanation for commentary but usually not the main point, just the details. In this case, it's leaving out the main point. Instead of saying, remember you were in Egypt and I redeemed you, it should say, I redeemed you in a wealthy manner. Beruchush Gadol, it says that earlier, in a great wealth. At least say that. And then later you'll say, yeah, you know, we'll be able to compare. Then I gave you twice, you should give them twice again. But the whole thing, the main, the main concept is missing from the Pasuk. Okay. The other interesting thing is, from this that the Midrash is saying that when I took you out of Egypt, I gave you a Hanukkah, meaning I gave you a gift. And from here we learn out that when you, when you free a slave, we learn out details that when you free the, at the end of the six-year period when the slave goes out, you need to give him a gift. We learn out halacha of 
how that mitzvah is to be performed, that you should do it twice, it implies that the, go, that the gift that we got when we went out of Mitzrayim was considered halachically hanaka, meaning this gift that you're supposed to give for a servant. It's not just, you know, something similar, but it, was, it has actually the halachic criteria of a gift that you give when you're going, when, 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 when a slave is, is freed. Now, by the way, this is important for us because we're also about to go out of exile. So it's important to talk about this because we want to remind the Eberster that he has, when he lets us out, there is a bill that he has to pay. There's not a bill, this is, so we, this is important that we learn about this. Everybody that's by the shear can go buy a lottery ticket tomorrow. Okay? In any case, um, what does it say? It says, um, oh, if we say that it has a criteria of the halacha, the problem is it doesn't really match up with the halacha. Because the halacha of gifting your servant is very specific. Number one, it only applies to a Jew, a Jewish master with a Jewish slave. A non-Jewish master that has a Jewish slave has no obligation when his slave is freed to give him these gifts. It's only a Jewish master to a Jewish slave. If that's the case, when Jews were in Egypt, they were enslaved to Gentiles, not to Jews. So the halacha of Hanukkah if you're looking at it from a halachic perspective, again, if one is approaching this just in the realm of Midrash, then yeah, okay, it's general. It doesn't have to be perfect. But again, from the words of the Sifri, it implies that we, that we compare certain things is a sign that it has a halachic criteria of Hanukkah. Again, Hanukkah is, I'm, I'm going to repeat the word many times. I don't want to have to explain it every time, so let's just do it one more last time. Hanukkah means the gifts that you give to a slave when they leave at their end of their period. So if this has the criteria or the halachic of, of Hanukkah, then it has to fit with that halacha. So the problem is that the laws of Hanukkah only apply when a Jewish slave is a servant to a by or for a Jewish master. In Egypt we were servants not to a Jewish master. Second problem. Second problem is that the law of giving a a gift is that the master is the one that has to give the gift. In other words, it's not for other people. It's not like people in the community who see the slave go out that, there's an, a, a, that there is an obligation on the community or who knows what. Oh, this guy, you know, we make a kiddush and shul for someone who was just freed as a slave and everybody should... Uh, gifts are welcome. You can... Uh, what is it when they do gifts for, uh, for a baby or for, uh, for a wedding? You can... Um, you can, yeah, you, well, you can register over here for everybody to give gifts. It doesn't work that way. It's a, specific, it's a specific obligation on the master. It's only his mitzvah. In this case, it was Paro that was our master, and he was the one who freed us. And therefore, the, the obligation to give the gifts would have been on Egypt. First of all, it's not on a non-Jew. But okay, even if we say it is, but it's not, it's, it's not on God. We weren't servants to God. We were servants to Paro. So it should have been Paro giving the gifts, Egypt giving the gifts. Now the truth is, they did give the gifts. It came from their money. It did come from their money. But from the words of the Sifri, from the words of the Midrash, and from the words of Rashi, if you remember, 
Hashem is saying the and, and from the verse of our pasuk. Let's see. Let's see the words of the pasuk. What does it say? The pasuk says, "Remember that you were a servant in Egypt, and God redeemed you." So it's putting the 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 credit to Hashem, obviously, because God did take us out. But from those words, we imply Hashem redeemed you. And how did I redeem you? I redeemed, redeemed you, and I loaded you with gifts. And the pasuk is, and if you look in the words of the midrash, the midrash is saying God says, "I gifted you once, I gifted you a second time, and so too you should do to your to your servants." What does it have to do with God giving? It's it, it should have said, "And the Egyptians gave you." They, I, I know they would never have given it without God flipping their hearts over. That's true, but that's just a technical aspect over here that God made the Egyptians do it. But once the Egyptians did it, it should have been attributed to the Egyptians. If we're going to call it a Hanukkah, it should have been a gift coming from the Master. And over here it's a gift coming from Hashem. So halachically it doesn't match at all. That's not what Hanukkah is. If there's, a, if, if there's someone wealthy who's, who's happy for the servant and he gives him a gift at that time, it's, not a, it's a nice thing, but it has nothing to do with Hanukkah uh, with the special mitzvah. It's, it's a separate thing. So what does it mean over here that it says, Hashem is the one that's doing it? Um, and, the other, and the last problem, which is really important, what did we get when we went out of Egypt? What did we take? We took, it says openly in the Pasuk what we got. Klikesev uklizov. We got gold and silver. Mainly it meant jewelry. The Jewish people took out a lot of jewelry. Silver and gold. And also they took out clothing. The Egyptians gave them nice, their, their, their best of their clothing. So they had their clothing, their garments. Halachically, that mitzvah of Hanukkah is only it's, it's specific. You don't fulfill it by writing a check. Money doesn't work. It has to be things that sages learn out which have an ability to con- continue giving. What does that mean? For example, livestock. What does the Pasuk say? Give him from your livestock. Livestock is a gift that continues. Why? Because they will have babies. And the babies will have babies, eventually. So you have, you're given something that is, the sages call it bachlal bracha. It has, you can be blessed. It's a gift that will continue gifting. It can go on and on. The same is also if you give from your granary. When you give them from the granary, they will plant the what you're giving them and then from that it will grow more or you're giving them from your vines from your grapes from your vines over here too they can replant it and create their own vines and be able to have continuous so that's how we learn out that the mitzvah is only from things that can reproduce money you don't fulfill with money and definitely not with jewelry and not with clothing so halachically, these things are not part of the mitzvah. And if a master gives these stuff to his servant, he does not fulfill the mitzvah. If that's the case, then God and Egypt giving us uh, the, these gifts are not halachically um, acceptable for the gift of Hanukkah. If that's the case, we have to understand how does it work. How does this work in terms of, of the Torah saying that this was a gift now in order to understand that, let's examine somewhere else in the Torah where we see there was a servant and he went out. And let's see if this servant was 
fulfilled the mitzvah of Hanaka already in his days. Who do we find as a biblical story was a slave and was free? Obviously, the biblical story that comes to mind of a slave that was freed is Yosef. Yosef, Joseph, was a slave in Egypt, and Yosef was freed. When Yosef became, he was freed, and he wasn't just freed. He, he, first he was a slave, then he ended up in prison, a prisoner. And when he was freed, he shot up all the way to the top. He became the grand uh, second uh, to the king in Egypt. So, um, did, was this mitzvah somehow fulfilled by Yosef? That he was gifted with a gift. So, the last week was the yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, Reb Levi Yitzchak Schneerson. It was the 75th yard site. In, in, uh, he was known as Reb Levik. That was this nickname that was so fondly spoken of. Reb Levik was sadly died as a result of his self-sacrifice for the perseverance of Russian Jewry. He fought, fought against the Soviets, spread Judaism in a way, did incredible work. In the end, they arrested him. They tortured him for a year in prison. Then they sent him off somewhere in horrible, horrible, horrible conditions to an exile where he suffered tremendously. And as a result of that, sadly, he passed away. After he was already liberated, but soon after that, he became very ill and he passed away. Anyways, Rebbe Levi, Rebbe Levi Yitzhak was a master scholar, but he was an extraordinary scholar, but he was a master Kabbalist. And he wrote during his... Now, most of his writings we don't have today because they couldn't be taken out of Russia and they're somewhere, hidden somewhere, who knows where. Hopefully very soon we should get them. But during the time that he was in exile, his wife, Rebbe Tzinchana, uh, we had a baby named Chana today, uh, the best, so I'm sure it's connected. Rebetz and Chana, his wife, the Rebbe's mother, uh, went and produced ink for him. She would go outside, find herbs. She processed the herbs into ink, and he was able to write because he, he had such a fast brain and he needed, to, and he, he had to always write Torah. So he was able to write something, you know, some, some little compared to what all his life he produced. And she was able to smuggle it out when she got out of Russia. And then there's four volumes called Lakute Levi Yitzchak, the teachings of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. They're genius of genius in Kabbalah, incredible teachings. He speaks about Yosef going out of Egypt, and he explains Kabbalistically the meaning of this mitzvah. He explains it mystically, but he explains how when Yosef went out of Egypt, we find that this mitzvah was observed. Yosef got gifts when he left. And he says, what were the gifts that Yosef got? So he says as follows. First of all, he says, when Yosef was freed, Paro took off his ring, and he gave Yosef his ring, when he appointed him as the viceroy of Egypt. He gave him his ring. Secondly, he made a big parade, and he dressed Yosef with a revid hazav, which is a gold necklace that went down. Um, or maybe it's not exactly like a necklace. It's like the Egyptian rulers used to wear around their neck. I don't know what it's called. Um, but and it was that gold, gold, a, it was some kind of a necklace that would go around. So that was his... So he gave him the ring, the necklace. It says he also dressed him in linen clothing. In addition... So that was the gift that Yosef got. 
Okay? Then he continues, and he said, not only that, the main gift, I think he says like this, but the main Hanukkah, Iker Hanukkah, the main Hanukkah that he got, was that God sent him the angel, Malach Gavriel, the angel Gabriel. The Gemara says in Masech Sota that Gavriel taught Yosef 70 languages. The Gemara says that when Paro was so impressed with Yosef's wisdom, he announced, I'm going to appoint you now as the leader of Egypt. His advisors weren't happy. They said, this guy is a slave. You're going to take a slave and take a slave and make a slave of the master over Egypt? It's, 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 this is a big shame. So, um, and, and they said, so Paro said, Paro answered them, he's not a slave. This is interesting. Paro says, I can tell on him that he has, he's, he comes from aristocratic stock. I can see him, he's a nobleman. Everything about him is so full of grace. They said, yeah, but then, 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 then see if he knows the languages. Someone worthy of being king needs to know the 70 languages. And Yosef didn't know it. So Malach Gavriel came and taught Yosef the 70 languages. On the spot, where maybe Paro said to Yosef, come back tomorrow, we'll test you. I'm not exactly sure how it worked, but... It says that maybe when an angel teaches you, you can do it and he can just download it. Anyways, it says, however, that Yosef did not, was not able to absorb it. The Malach was giving him language classes and he was teaching him all 70 languages, but Yosef did not, was not able to absorb it. Maybe such a crash course by an angel, 70 languages in just a few minutes was a little too much. Until God added to Yosef a letter from his name, Yosef's name is Yud Vav Samach Pei. That's Yosef, spelled Yosef. Hashem added, added to Yosef the letter He. So Yosef now, between the Yud and the Vav is the letter He. So Yosef's name is now Yehosef. Now we usually don't call Yosef Yehosef. But in Tehillim, we say it, um, I don't remember which chapter it is, but we do say it every Thursday. In the song of the day, Shir Shel Yom, we say, Eidus be Yehosef. It says, language I didn't know, Eshma I'm able to hear. So Yosef was able to hear the languages that he didn't know. Why? Because when God added the He of Hashem's name to His name, Yosef's memory capacity, he added memory, he added, expanded his brain, his abilities to be on, uh, on some godly level, and then Yosef was able to know all 70 languages, and he passed the test, and he was given uh, the, the access to the throne. So Rebbe Levi says, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak says, that the primary Hanukkah, the main gifting that Yosef was given, was the teaching of these 70 languages. Fine. But then he asks a question. That's not enough. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is, as he said earlier, the master has to give. These are gifts that were given by, pa- by, 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 by Paro, by Pharaoh, and by God, by Hashem. The, the, who was Yosef a servant to? He was a servant to, to Potiphar. 
Potiphar was the, uh, the the butcher in Egypt, the head of the cattle of all of all of all um, of all. Uh, no, how do you call it? Of all meats, so in Egypt. In any case, um, so he was the he was his servant. If he was, then Potiphar has to gift him. Why is it that God is? How can we fulfill this mitzvah through Hashem's gift of teaching him the languages? Or Paro's gift of giving him the ring and the bracelet and the uh, and the, um, the, the, the linen clothing when it has to come from Potiphar. So he adds, Potiphar also gave him something. What did Potiphar give him? Potiphar's daughter, Asnas, became Yosef's wife. So he got a gift from Potiphar as well. So now he marries Potiphar's daughter. That's why, by the way, if you remember, the Potiphar's wife started up with Yosef. Right? That was, that's how Yosef landed in prison, because he resisted her advances of Potiphar's wife. It says the reason why was, sh- I mean, Yosef was very handsome, she was taken by him. Good. But in addition to that, um, she, had a, she, was, she was an astrologer, and she was able to see in astrology that she's going to have offspring from Yosef. And she knew that as a fact, but she thought it was from her. She mistook it was going to be her daughter. But in any case, her daughter married Yosef. And so that's the gift coming from Potiphar. So now as you follow, there is three... So he, ha- so he has his Hanukkah over here, both from Hashem, from Paro, and from Potiphar. Okay. That's what he says. Now, the same questions we asked before can really be now asked on this, on this story. Applying to Yosef, just like we asked regarding the Jews in Egypt. How can we say that this is fulfillment, the criteria of the laws of Hanukkah? For three reasons. Number one, it's only when you're a servant to a Jewish master, not when you're a servant to a non-Jewish master. So Yosef is a Eved Ivri. He was a Jewish slave. It doesn't apply to a non-Jewish slave. But it applies to a Jewish state. But the master also has to be Jewish. In this case, it was Potiphar. Potiphar was not Jewish. Number one. Number two. The items he gave him. What were the items that were given to him? Don't qualify for Hanukkah. As we said earlier, they have to be things that produce rings and necklaces and then clothing. Oh, the only one that produces is his wife. That, yeah. You can have children. That would be the only one. But everything else, the languages, it's not a, it, it's, you can't fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah by giving your servant knowledge. It needs to be. Right? So how can it be that in these cases that this would be a, a, a mitzvah of Hanukkah? Now, a question on the Rebbe's father's pirush, or I believe Yitzchak's pirush we don't have, because the question is not on him. We can understand that he has a source for his, for his idea, because he's rooted in the Sifri. In other words, the, Re- the Reblevik has a good source for this idea that Hanukkah, the content of Hanukkah could be fulfilled not exactly to the, to the, to, with, 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 with exactly according to Halacha, because you see in the Sifri, the Sifri says that when we went out of Egypt, it was considered the fulfillment of Hanukkah, even though over there in Egypt, there was also not a Jewish master. It was also items that aren't donat have bracha in them, intrinsic ability to reproduce. And thirdly, it wasn't coming from the master. 
it was coming from uh, from someone else. And remember, now the question that that question is on 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 Rebbe Levik's Torah as well, because even though there is a little bit of a gift coming from the master, which is as we said before, the, his wife Osnas, but he himself says that that's not the main Hanukkah. The main Hanukkah that Yosef got was the the ring and the bracelet of Paro that Paro gave him, which really meant his power to be a king and the languages. He says that also he got he got the daughter of Potiphar. So we're we so that again in that case you also have the same question. But he himself has who to lean on. He's leaning on the Safri, he's leaning on the Medrash. If that could be considered Hanukkah in that case, it could be considered Hanukkah in his case as well. Okay. But that still doesn't answer the question. It just says, okay, so we need explanation. How can this be halachically okay? And the idea over here is really, really interesting. And, uh, and as follows. In the mitzvah of Hanukkah, there are two parts. Okay, it's a little Talmudic, but this is really, it's really, really exciting. In the mitzvah of Hanukkah, there are two parts. There is a mitzvah on the master to give. That's one part of it. And then there is the part that the servant receives. Okay, there is a giver and there is a receiver. It's one mitzvah, but the mitzvah has two components. There is the giver of the gifts and there is the receiver of the gifts. And these two components, even though they make up one mitzvah, the content is different in the giver than to the receiver. In other words, it's not the same content. The mitzvah on the giver, which is the master, is primarily to show gratitude. As I feel indebted, I feel gratitude for the work that you have done. And because I feel gratitude for the work that you have done, you worked for me for six years, you toiled, you worked difficult, you worked hard, I feel a tremendous sense of gratitude, I want to thank you, and that's why I am giving you. The Torah wants us, the Torah very, 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 very much is always, is very, very insistent that we have good character traits. And one of them is to feel gratitude towards someone that has helped you. So in this case, uh, we want to feel tr- uh, uh, the, the gratitude that, what's that, um, that, that the master has to have towards his servant is he has to give him. That's number one. But there is another part. That's from the master's end. From the servant's end, the gifts are not only as, okay, now he feels a little better. He has a token of gratitude that was given to him by the master. He feels better. There's something else. By the servant receiving gifts, and therefore he's not leaving empty-handed, that enhances his freedom. In a sense, we can say it completes him as being a free person. That transformation that is now taking place, a slave is becoming a free person, part of that transitioning into a free person is that when I'm leaving, I'm not leaving a pauper, I'm leaving with wealth, I'm leaving with something. In simple words, think about it. You know, the slave is a slave, he's working for his master, and he's working you know, hard for his master, now he's responsible for his own life. Okay. If he leaves and the next day he's looking for work, 
He's working, he's flipping burgers in Burger King. Or he's selling uh, hot pretzels on the street corner. Um, then he's not too, he really, doesn't really feel too, you know, he's still kind of at the lower end of society, struggling to barely make a living. He doesn't really feel like he's a free person. But if he leaves with wealth, and he's now a mensch, he can take care of himself. So that wealth and that, that those monies, that wealth and those monies give him a boost. So now he's really feeling like a, he's, a, he's a free person. So when we look at this giving of the gift, we have to analyze it from two sides. The content from the, from, from, from the giver's end, it's about gratitude. From the receiver's end, from the servant's end, it's about him being, being truly sensing his freedom and being having that 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 uh, that 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 he's br- and basically it helps him psychologically. Now he feels that he's a strong person and so on and so forth. He's on his feet. Now we can say like this: even though it's one mitzvah, again, even though it's one mitzvah, there are two ideas in this mitzvah. And therefore, the mitzvah is different from the giver's end as it is from the receiver's end. So it's like two mitzvahs merged together as one. And because of that, we can split the mitzvah. And we can say like this. Those limitations that we spoke about before, the criteria that we spoke about before, saying that what? That number one, who is the one who's responsible to give? That's the master. Number two, it has to be a Jewish master. And number three, it has to be things that continue giving. All these three things are true halachically, but they only apply to the aspect of the mitzvah that's relating to the giver. The aspect of the mitzvah that's relating to the giver, which means that he should feel gratitude, in that end, number one, that is a mitzvah that is only, only God, God expects this only from a Jew. He doesn't expect it from a Gentile. So this, 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 this feeling of gratitude to your servant. Number two, um, it must come from the master, because if it's not coming from the master, then the master is not showing gratitude. The master has to give it. And even the third idea, that it has to be something that keeps on giving, we can understand that that's because of the master's mitzvah to give. Why? To show gratitude. He has to show gratitude in a way that he's going to continue showing his gratitude long term. See, if I'm giving you something and the gift is over today, then there's no long term in the gift. If I'm giving you livestock, and they will have to, every time, you know, there's a, there is a child, and then there is a grandchild, and there's a great-great-child, 30, 40 years later, he's always getting another thank you. He's, he knows where this, all, all this wealth comes from. He started his farm. He started his, his whole, his whole, his whole, yeah, his, 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 um, yeah, his farm from, from the gift that he gave him. So he's continuously getting a thank you from his master. It's not a one-time thank you. And the Torah is out to teach you gratitude. That it's not just a one-time a thank you. Keep, keep up that, that thanks. Keep up. That's why you can only fulfill your mitzvah. You can't give him something that's stagnant. Something that's a one-time thing. It has to be able to produce. That's as long as we're observing the mitzvah from what the mitzvah means to the giver, to the master. 
But in as much as the other side of the mitzvah, that the servant should, this should actualize his freedom, that he should feel like a free, he should be empowered and be a free person, it's irrelevant who his master is. That applies even if his master is not Jewish. In other words, how technically it wouldn't work because a non-Jew, we're not, we're not obligating the non-Jew. But the concept of the mitzvah as it applies to the servant would apply in a case where he's, where, where he's a servant to a non-Jew as well. That what? That he should feel like he's a free person. So therefore, the mit, this part of the mitzvah would apply um, even, even in a case when he's, working with a non, when he's working for a non-Jew. And in this case, God, as we'll see, God does it for us, even though we work for, for, for the Egyptians. But that we should feel free. I remember. The other idea that we said earlier, um, to the servant it doesn't really make that much of a difference who he received the gift from. The main thing is that the day after, the first Monday, he's not out, out, outside in the street looking for a job. He can take care of himself. He has money now to take care of his family. He has money to start a business. He can, he can, he can develop himself. To him, it doesn't make that much. It's nice that his master gave it to him. We'll soon see there is a little bit that helps him psychologically as well when it's coming from the master. But that's not such a crucial thing. The main thing is he should be free. How is he free? He has the monies now. Once he has the money, he's free. So from his end, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Two things. Who his master is. Number two, that the master should give him the gift. The main thing is that he should have the money. And thirdly, as we said earlier, as long as he has the money, it doesn't have to be a gift that keeps on giving as long as he has money. And again, when does he become free? The transitioning of becoming free is the first moment when he's leaving. Later, he's already a free person. The gratitude coming from the master is something that should be extended continuously. But him becoming a free person happens only once. And since, and that's when it's important that he should have all that it takes to make him feel like a free person. For that, he has to have a chunk of wealth. That's important. Based on that, we can understand. That in our Pasuk, when it says, Vizacharta, you should remember, Ki Eved Be'eretz Mitzrayim, that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. And this is a reason for the mitzvah of Hanukkah, this particular mitzvah. The Pasuk is not relating to the mitzvah as it is to the master. The Pasuk is relating to the mitzvah as it is, as it applies from the perspective of the servant. And that's why the Torah says, you are servants, you know what it means to go out and to truly feel free. Because I redeemed you. I redeemed you. And when I redeemed you, I redeemed you. Which means I made you truly be a free person. So that's, the, that's what the Pasuk is trying to tell us. The, 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 the mitzvah as it is from the receiving end. For that, and, 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 and the idea that you should give once and you should give twice. Remember we said in the beginning, we learn out from God. God gave us once and he gave us again. That part has nothing to do with the master. That has to do at the end, at the servant's end. Now this is a little bit of a tricky thing because it seems like I said the opposite before, but it's not. But take, listen, listen carefully. 
Before we spoke, we have to differentiate between two things. We have to differentiate between giving something that keeps... It's like, oh, they have, they have that on... I don't know, where, 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 do I, where do I hear that on the radio or as an advertisement? Or I always hear that. The gift that keeps on giving. What's that? Where does that come from? Anybody? I always say, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, maybe, okay, maybe just a phrase. I thought it comes from some advertisement. In any case... The gift that keeps on giving is something that comes from, has to do with, as we said earlier, for the, the master's responsibility to show gratitude, to give a gift that keeps on giving. But is there, is there a cap to how much one is obligated in, in, in gratitude? You should extend your gratitude continuously, even on the long term, but how much gratitude do you have to feel? Do you have to feel infinite gratitude and therefore you have to give an infinite gift? No. From the giver's perspective, there is a set, even, even a written, you give, you gave a nice gift, whatever the gift is worth, you gave a nice gift, it should have within it the component of continuous giving so that the gratitude continues, but it's still measured with a certain amount. That's in as much as the giving is given from the giver as an expression of thank you, as an expression of gratitude. But the other side of the coin, the servant receiving the gift, and why is he receiving the gift? Why does he need to have the gift? So that this should help him feel like a free person. We understand that that doesn't have a limit. Why? Because the more he has, the freer he feels. Understand? If he has just a little bit, then he feels still pressure. How's he going to manage? But he feels, at least he has something. He doesn't have to run around the next day, you know, uh, as I said before, you know, signing up to flip burgers. He now, uh, he has a little bit of a something. If he has quite a bit, a bit of money and he can open up a little farm, oh, that's a little better. And if he's got a lot of money and he's really, and he's wealthy and he's really well off, oh, then he feels more empowered. So this doesn't have a limit. This that it says that God gave us once, and then He gave us a second time. Shana, He gave us a second time. He gave us once, He gave us a second time. Which means more and more, which technically means limitless. That's the idea. Giving and giving, and that limitless, that has to do with our sense of being free. And that's why it's related to, as we said over here, unrelated to the technical aspects when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, it's unrelated to what the Egyptians had to give. It's not about them. It was related to that God redeemed us. How it, impo- how it impacted us that we felt free. That's the reason also, remember the first question I asked tonight. The question I asked was, why doesn't it say, why doesn't it say, I redeemed you with great wealth. The main thing is missing from the Pasuk. Remember, we asked that question. If the Pasuk is trying to say that I, I redeemed you, and I redeemed you with wealth, so the main thing is missing from the Pasuk. It doesn't say I redeemed you with wealth. It just says I redeemed you. Because the Pasuk is not trying... See, if it would tell you I redeemed you with wealth, rechush, then it would kind of cap it. Then we would measure how much did I give you in Egypt. That's not the point. The point is, I made you free, as free as free can be. That's what he's saying. As a derivative of that, of course I gave you great wealth. Because if you would have gone out not very wealthy, you wouldn't have felt complete freedom. 
The great wealth is just a detail in the idea that I really empowered you and made you free people. I tr- Basically, you walked out of Egypt and you were metamorphosized. You were transformed. You were now free people. Now, the physical manifestation of that entailed that I gave you great wealth. So the Pasuk admits that. That's not the point. The point is that you should feel free. We should truly feel emancipated. Free and go. Now we'll understand, let's take a look at the gift of Yosef. And uh, we'll understand why, as we said earlier, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, when he's talking about how Yosef was gifted, this same idea, we asked the same questions over there. You know, his, his master wasn't, wasn't Jewish. He, he gave him gifts that were... But what does he say? The primary gift, he says, was the gift of Paro. The first thing. first thing he mentions was Paro's gift. What did Paro give him? He gave him tabas, he gave him a ring, and he gave him revid hazahav. By the way, he says an interesting thing. He says revid zahav, the words revid zahav is gematria, the exact gematria of anok. The Pasuk says hanek tanek. You should gift your, your servant. So revid zahav, I think it's revid zahav, not revid hazav, just revid zahav, gold necklace. And... Um, and the word anak, which is what you're giving, is the same gematria. Um, but in any case, he says that's why. Because we're talking about Yosef's freedom. What made Yosef, what was the, what was the radical change that happened by Yosef? The radical, was it that Yosef got a wife? That was nice. But in terms of being a prisoner or a slave and now being free, he is now the superpower of Egypt. He's the ruler of the whole world. Right? Besides Paro, is on top of him. But other than that, he's like has control over everything. So that's the that's the 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 the, the, the Hanukkah. That's the that's the main Again, only from we're not talking about the gratitude. We're looking at the from Yosef's end, the fast, the fact that he has now his ring and he has see the ring and the necklace. It wasn't so much the ring and the necklace. It was, it, it, it was what it represented. It was the power of ruling Egypt, which is instead of being a slave. So that's that. That why that's the Hanukkah. But he still says that the main, the main. Hanukkah that Yosef got, the main gift that Yosef got was that he was taught the languages. And the reason for that is because even though the ring and the, and the necklace, which was the actualization of him being ruler over Egypt, is what kind of clinches his freedom, completes it, his, his freedom, but Yosef had no way to be a, a, a king uh, with his limitations, that he didn't know the seventy languages. What paved the way internally? What paved the way internally for Yosef to become the, the master and the leader or the king over, over Egypt? What paved the way was that the Malach came and he taught him the seventy languages. So internally, Yosef received that power when God gave him the thing. So that's why he says the Iker, again, the Iker Hanukkah, meaning the Pneumius. The inner point of his freedom came 
when God empowered him with this, with this, with the, with, with, with the knowledge, with the languages. Once he was empowered with the, with the, with this extreme knowledge, with this great knowledge, now he was capable of being a king, which manifested itself later by Paro giving him the ring and and the and the and the necklace. So the main Hanukkah was to empower Yosef with the capabilities of being a king. That's why this is the first thing. But there's a third thing. And that is, even though we said earlier that from the servant's world, from the, space, from the place of the servant, it's irrelevant who he receives the gifts from. As long as he has his money, he's now able to be a free. And the more he has, the, 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 the greater his ability is, the more free he is. However, psychologically, it helps if the gift that he's getting is from his master. Because that helps him deal with his, pri- his, pre- his previous enslavement. And stand, psychologically, kind of his, it's like kind of a healing for his previous abuse. Being a servant automatically is a form of abuse. Okay? So now he has to deal with that memory that he was once a servant. When his master, who once enslaved him, is now giving him gifts, respecting him and giving him gifts, that too enhances his sense of empowerment and freedom. So it's not, so it's true that 95% of his freedom has to do with his capabilities, that he has the money now, he's not, he's not in the, you know, he has capabilities now. That's the most important thing for him. But, there is somewhat of some of it that comes, meaning what I'm saying is, the master obligated in giving is not only, earlier we said, it's not only because of the master's part of the mitzvah where the master has to show gratitude. Yeah, that's 90% of why the master has to give. But 10%, let's say, of the obligation of the master to give is not because of the master's gratitude, but it's also needed from the, from the slaves, from the servant's perspective, he needs that acknowledgement from the master that the master was the one that freed him. That's why Rebbe Levi Yitzchak says, well, when he gave him his daughter, when he gave him his daughter, kind of that enabled the mitzvah to be completed. So you're right. Halachically, in the full sense of the, of the, of, of the, of the, of the experience, there is no full Hanukkah, neither in the, either in the case when we went out of Egypt, either in the gifts that Yosef got. But it's only one side of it that is not fulfilled. The other side of it, as it pertains to the slave, was completely fulfilled in that case. And that's what the Pasuk is emphasizing over here. In this mitzvah, remember that you were a servant in Egypt. And therefore, you remember how you were redeemed to the fullest extent. Now, parenthetically, a little thought, which doesn't say this is an explanation by the, by the Rebbe, by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. But there is one, one thought that I, I was thinking regarding to this, which, which, which inspired me today when I was learning this, which I didn't see inside, but you see it's from this, this teaching that we said earlier, that it's true that when Paro gives him the ring and when Paro gives him the necklace, he, actu- he, he now has the ability, he's now become a king. But the real empowerment is when the Malach comes and teaches in the languages. I think that teaches us something very, very important for today's days. As I spoke so many, so many times, we are living today already 
in the beginning of Moshiach's days. We are already in the Messianic era. And therefore, all the elements of redemption are here already for those who are willing and capable and want to open up their eyes and experience the redemption. We are right now in a twilight zone between the exile and the redemption. And therefore, anybody that wants to live in exile could hold on to exile. Anybody that wants to live in the world of redemption in Moshiach's days and Messianic times can choose to live so. Soon it's going to be so obvious that everybody's going to open their eyes and everybody's going to live in Moshiach mindset. But today we still have a choice in which way to live in. Now, when Moshiach comes, one of the criteria of Moshiach's coming is that we all will be extraordinarily wealthy. That's just the reality. When Moshiach comes, Rambam says, we will have extraordinary wealth. We won't have anything holding us back from learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, including the need to work for a living because wealth will be like dirt. That's what it says in Rambam. And definitely the Jewish people will be very wealthy. So therefore there's a talk that I once gave uh, last year, I think two years ago, maybe two years ago, part of this, the Rebbe says that in our days, every single person has to do whatever they can to be wealthy. Imagine that. I never heard that as a religious duty. I've always heard that as people do. The Rebbe says, today's days it's a mitzvah for everybody to work on being wealthy. It's not okay for us to, 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 be, to be satisfied with, with the little bit. There's such a thing called sameach bechelko, you're not a complainer. But you have to do your ishtadlis to be wealthy because today we're, we're supposed to live already in Mashiach's world. And be Mashiach's world, there is wealth. However, so then I ask myself the question, what's going on? Why am I not wealthy yet? I'm the one talking about Mashiach day and night, and I'm not wealthy yet. So today it occurred to me, and it, it, said to me, it, it occurred to me myself, my, my thought was, the problem is not the wealth. The problem is the mindset. Like Yosef, if, as long as he doesn't have yet the 70 languages, he's still easy, meaning he's still thinking that I'm a slave. I, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't be a king. I can't be a king. I can't, in his own mind, he can't be it. If he can't be it because he feels incapable of it, that itself, then he can't be the king. The moment he knows that he could, because he's taught the 70 languages through the Malach, then, 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 then he's already a king. It's just a matter of, of, of moments until Paro is going to hand him. Paro is going to see the royalty in him. He's going to see that power. He's going to give him, he's him control over everything. And that's really, if there's anything that, if we're not wealthy yet, anybody, if you're not wealthy yet, it's because of this internal smallness of mind that we're still holding on to of insecurities and, and I can't and I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that and I can't do this or I can't, whatever, whatever it is. It's these limitations. And that's what we need to change. And if we need a download, the Abish is going to send us Malach Gavriel as long as we're hoping for it and waiting for it and expecting it and maybe demanding it. We have a right to demand it because we've been in exile for 2,000 years. We're coming out. And all of us are like Yosef. So we have a right to say to, to, to ten, tell the Malach, where are you? Every day wake up in the morning. Where's the 70 land? Maybe you got it last night. And you have it today. Think big. Think great. Think walk in with tremendous confidence. Expect to be a billionaire. And you'll use the money for good things. Don't think, okay, I'm going to be a billionaire. No, 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 no. You'll, you'll, if, 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 if the attitude is... is Coming to the money because it's the days of Mashiach already where there's no more Yetzahara, there's no more evil inclination. Of course, we'll all do unbelievable things with the money. But every Jew has to believe that that's the case. 
It's okay today's days to want a big house and to live comfortably and to, to, to live like a mensch. No, we, every person should fly first class. That's the way. What do you mean? Why should you? The back seats, I'm not going to say, let it be for, for oh, I don't mind, but that. First class, business class, first class. Jews only in business class, first class. Talking about the, the children of Hashem. This is it. This is the princes of the world. It, that this is the way it has to be. It's just an attitude. If you believe that way, and, and sometimes it makes a big difference in just the way we go about our lives. If we always think that we don't have, we think small, we're, we're always, always concerned, scared to spend the, the money that we have because we're scared we won't have, that's no good. We have to start realizing we have everything. And then I, the miracles will, how will I pay off the credit card? Don't worry, the Eversta will take care of it. As long as you have that, as long as you have that open-mindedness and, that, and you, you essentially are a wealthy person today, then you're wealthy, you're going to have it because we're living directly, we all have access to God's infinite wealth. In exile, we didn't. That's the difference. Just, you know, a couple of years ago, we didn't have that. Today's days, we do have that. And it's just a matter of our mindset. And that's very important to realize that. Yosef's main Hanukkah was when he got that, that capability. Any case. So this is this idea. So now, in our days, when we are standing, as we said before, mamish at the end of the exile, it is, this mitzvah is now applicable. And the obligation on God's end to redeem us to redeem us, but to, to, to gift us with wealth is already, it's a mitzvah. Here's the thing, it's the Eberster's mitzvah. Nothing wrong with, as we said, as I, we said uh, expecting uh, Hashem to keep his mitzvahs. That's it. So this is another, another expectation, kosher expectation um, for all of us to have. He does discuss something really, really awesome at the end of this talk, but I think it would take quite a bit of explaining to explain the end of it. So I'm going to leave those who want to learn the end of this talk. You can, you can learn it. Because he's explaining, I'm just going to give you a little, little something. He's explaining the question later in the talk, why, why, um, why this doesn't apply to a non-Jewish servant? Why does this only apply to a Jewish servant? Now he's not explaining it in the simple sense. He's explaining it Baruchnius in the spiritual sense. What, is, what does this mean only for a Jewish servant, not a Jewish servant? I'm just going to say one little point. He says that in our service of God, this is very important, in our service to Hashem, there's, a Jew can be a Jewish servant or a Jew can be a non-Jewish servant. And everybody would say, hey, of course we all want to be a Jewish servant. Not exactly the case. He, he develops the case that the non-Jewish servant is on a much higher level than the Jewish servant. When I say non-Jewish servant, I don't mean technically non-Jewish. I mean a Jewish man or a woman serving God as a non-Jewish servant. Let me just, you know, it's too good for me to skip. So I'm just say just a little point. Point is like this. In Torah, there is a concept of a Jewish servant and a non-Jewish servant. Now, obviously, in the, re- in the reality, that means... Jew and non-Jew. But in spirit, every mitzvah has its spiritual parallel. Today's days, there's no servants at all. These mitzvahs don't apply. They don't apply physically, but they apply in the spiritual sense. Serving God as a Jewish servant means, as a Jew, you enjoy being serving God. That's called serving God as a Jewish servant. Because Jews, essentially, you have a Jewish neshama, so if you're in touch with your Jewish soul... 
you have an enjoyment in being a servant. You enjoy doing a mitzvah, you enjoy. It's servitude, because sometimes you're a little lazy, sometimes you have to push yourself, but your general attitude is you have excitement, you, have, you feel good about your Jewishness and about doing mitzvahs, you have pleasure and delight, and that's the idea of being a Jewish servant. A non-Jewish servant means that you really, really, really don't have any appreciation in your Yiddishkeit. It really feels like a big load. It really feels like something you're not interested in. But you do it anyways. And there's something extraordinarily amazing about that. When you don't have any pleasure, delight, and excitement in any of your Yiddishkeit, in any of your Jewish observances, but you have no choice. You feel you have no choice. Not because any, any force of any, 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 it's not society forcing you, it's not your parents forcing you, it's not your teacher or your school forcing you, it's yourself forcing yourself because you're aware of the reality of God that you can't escape and Hashem demands of you Torah and mitzvahs and therefore you're going to keep, your Torah, you keep the mitzvahs. But, but it's a real load. Now, that's called a non-Jewish servant because in your internal attitude, you're not Jewish in that sense, is that you don't like Jewish stuff. You know, you don't like uh, knedlach. You know, you don't like matzah balls. That's not, it's not your thing. You know, you like uh, lobster. But Jews eat knedlach. That's what Jews do. You got to do. I mean, I mean to say the, the things that Jews have to do, because Jews need to do these things. These are these are these are. You're doing it totally out of obligation. Now, which one is greater? Which one is greater? So obviously. Everybody would, from a normal, from a, from a rational observance, you would say that, well, if a person is so unrefined that they can't appreciate anything in Judaism, that means they're very, very coarse. And very low, and very distant from God, and very, very, very non-spiritual. So everything in Judaism comes difficult. So that, you're right. Someone who's a Jewish servant is on a much higher level than someone is that's on a level of a non-Jewish servant. That's as much as the person is concerned. But as much as the service itself, the service of the non-Jewish slave is much, is much greater than the service of the Jewish slave. And the reason for that is because when you are doing things because you have no choice, it's almost as if God is doing it, not you're doing it. You're just Hashem's limbs. You're just giving, you're just... Your abnegation of self is so great God is so much more present in your mitzvah because if it would have if if it has nothing to do with you because you're really really not interested in doing this so it's completely because of God so who is being expressed in that mitzvah God is being expressed in the mitzvah see this is the opposite of the way we usually think the more you don't want to do a mitzvah the more you're just doing it because you have no choice the greater the godly energy that's coming through this mitzvah, because Hashem is doing it. That's the secret in Kabbalah. It's in, in Hasidus, it's called Kabbalah's Ol. Kabbalah's Ol means you're doing it because the yoke of God. And that makes your mitzvahs divine. When you're doing it because you enjoy it, then the mitzvah is expressing a lot of you, not just God. And when a mitzvah is expressing God, it's so much greater than when the mitzvah is expressing you, because God. 
And that's also an amazing reason. Here, take a look at something very deep. That's also the reason. There is a halacha. In the, in the physical sense, it's hard to grasp and understand and appreciate it, but in the spiritual sense, you'll really get it now. There is a law that a, a, a person may not set his Gentile servant free. There's a mitzvah that you pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren. The servant is supposed to be a servant forever. Now you're going to ask what's today's days. Today's days we've already moved past slavery and this, uh, okay, this you'll discuss with your LOR, your local Orthodox rabbi in a different, in a different class. I'm not getting into that sense of, oh, come on, how can the Torah um, 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 justify servitude? And not only that, you're not allowed to free him. You, which means that by a non-Jewish servant, it says, Olam behem tavodu, they should work forever. And by a Jewish servant, he's not allowed to work more than six years. Seventh year, he's free. How come? Watch how the Rebbe flips the whole thing over. He says, because a Jew, when you're serving God as a Jewish servant, since your service is based on yourself, you enjoy it, you have pleasure, you think it's cool, you think it's right, you're really into it. Since it's about you, you're limited, so your servitude is limited. It will come to an end, it's not infinite. But the servant who's kicking and screaming, and he doesn't want to do the mitzvah, he doesn't want to, he has no appreciation of anything in his Yiddishkeit. And why is he doing it? Because God's yoke. The yoke of heaven is upon him and therefore pushing him that he's he, pushing him to do the mitzvahs because God said so. That's infinite. That servitude lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. It's without an end because it's God. God is eternal. Now we'll also understand why there is no halacha of gifting. The gift that you give to the non-Jewish servant but you give it to the Jewish servant but not to the non-Jewish servant. Rebbe Levi Yitzchak in his discourse, in his, in the Rebbe's father, this is the Rebbe's explanation based on his father. Rebbe Levi explains, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, that the concept of the gift spiritually means that the servant receives expansive mochen. When, you're a servant, when, you're a, when you are a, a slave, you have very, constru- a slave doesn't have das. That's why he's putter for mitzvahs. One of the reasons why a, why is a child not obligated in doing mitzvahs? Why is a minor not obligated in mitzvahs? Because he's lacking in das. Das means knowledge. A servant is also lacking das. And that's the reason why the servant also is not, is not obligated in a mitzvah. When he's freed, he gets what we call expansive mochen. Mochen de gados. Spiritually, you become... You become Enriched intellectually. That's the idea of freeing a servant. That's why Hanik Tanik, the double gift, one is from Chachma and the other one is from Bina. It's these two mochen, there are two powers of intellect, Chachma and Bina, and this is the enrichment of the person's mind. That's the idea of the gift. Now, the Rebbe says, that idea that one day you graduate and you become a sophisticated human being is appropriate for a Jew who is serving God and his service, his or her service, is based a little bit on self. You have a self. It's nice if you graduate beyond your emotions and you, be, and you have rich intellect and understanding, a rich intellectual understanding of your observance of Yiddishkeit. 
He says, for a person who has perfect Kabbalah's oil, the person who has perfect surrender and servitude to his master, having broad intelligence is only going to get away, get in the way of the simple service. The simple servant is better off without this exceedingly knowledge because that's going to ruin the simplicity. And that's why there's no mitzvah of Hanukkah because you don't want that. It's not, it's not. He says, does that mean that he has to remain a dumbbell all of his life? A dummy? No intellect just being like a... No, he says. He says there is intelligence. But his intelligence is not his intelligence. It's God's intelligence. He becomes just an extension of his master. It's like, he brings it, it's like the concept of Shechina medaberes metokorono. Someone who is a servant totally abnegated to God, then he, it says by Moshe Rabbeinu, for instance, his words were not his words. His throat, his vocal cords, were a passageway for God's voice to come through him. Because he, he's not, he doesn't have a self. A simple servant is so devoted to his master that he's, he's identityless. His master is his identity. So on the one hand, he'd much rather be in the bar playing poker or drinking, having it. He doesn't want to show up to work. But the fact that he shows up and when he shows up, it's with such total abnegation. His entire being is the being of his master. And therefore, when he does get intelligence, he can study. It's not his intelligence. It's his master's intelligence. So it's not considered hanik, tanik, low, giving a gift to him. Anyways, there's a lot to talk about this, and that's already a, a, a whole new dimension of what we spoke about tonight. Again, this is in, for those who want to finish and learn the whole thing clearly, it's in volume 24 in Parshas Re'eh of Lakute Sichos. In any case, the main thing is, for each and every one of us, I think the lesson for tonight is realize that it's in our hands today's days to really receive the ultimate gifts and we all have the ability to have them. We should take them, expect them, demand them and just change our constricted poor attitude to an attitude of a rich Jew both physically, spiritually, psychologically and in all levels. May we merit to see the ultimate ge'ula now. <laughs>